Hey everybody, quick announcement before we get to this week's Crunch Quad episode. First off, thanks for listening to our Celestial Pact Warlock episode this week. But second off, we've been getting a lot of requests and questions about what the future of iCast Fireball is. Um, if you're pretty up to date on the story in iCast Fireball, you are pretty much aware that things seem to be winding down or at least coming to a conclusion in the very near future for the Jank Squad. And some people have been reaching out to us uh, through email, social media, um, all of our avenues asking what the future of iCast Fireball will hold. Well, we just want to calm any fears that there might be uh, on the podcast shutting down. Uh, we will be having a season two for iCast Fireball. Now, we will be taking a little bit of a break at the end of season one, but content will still be released for iCast Fireball. Um, we're not going to make any uh detailed announcements about what that content will be, but rest assured what you've come to love with iCast Fireball in season one being this audio only produced podcast will continue into a season two. But for the details, you'll have to join us on our special announcement that we release on the podcast feed once season one is wrapped up and finished. Anyway, thank you so much as always for supporting us, for listening, and on to this week's episode. Hello everyone, you're listening to Crunch Squad. It's a podcast within a podcast where we discuss the rules, the mechanics, and the number crunching behind this wonderful game of Dungeons and Dragons. I am Ned Wilcock, your host for Crunch Squad, and today I'm joined by... I'm Mickey, and I play Malamara. Yes, those of you who listened to our recent Word of Recall may have an idea of what we're talking about today. In fact, all of you probably have an idea of what we're talking about today because you're reading it in the title of the episode, probably. Malamara went through some pretty big changes recently that we're going to be talking about. She sure did. Uh, spoilers for, I believe it was episode oh, 90? Somewhere around there. Somewhere around there. Uh, big spoilers so many if you of haven't. These. <laughs> big spoilers if you haven't read, if you haven't listened past. At least episode 90. So we got a switch in subclass from the Fiend, the uh, representative patron of Air 2. We switched over to the Celestial, representing Bahamut, the Platinum Dragon. Yes. And so there are mechanical changes that come with this, but uh, let's talk about some of the thematic changes first before we dig into that. Sure. And we did talk about this a little bit in the Word of Recall, but are there any other details that you want to share about what drew you particularly to this subclass? And, you know, maybe the abilities are part of that. Maybe it's mostly just for flavor. What do you think? I think most of it was just for flavor in looking at the warlocks and trying to figure out how do you balance losing your patron as a warlock? Because I feel mm -hmm. like the paladins have, you know, oath breakers and different things that kind of were built into it. But warlocks... It's a little, the wording is not super clear. I think you could make an argument for keeping the powers without the patron because the magic becomes a part of you or being totally stripped of the magic because you're no longer in a boon with the deity of, you know, fiend, archfey, what have you. And so I just was looking at my options because I didn't really ever know how Air 2's influence over Malamara was going to go, how they were going to if she was gonna break with him, if she was just gonna have to be a part of it the whole time and manage her demon side. There was a lot of what ifs up in the air left for Thomas because he's such an incredible DM and he's so great at storytelling. I really wanted to let him tell whatever story he crafted. And so he kind of gave me the option of, well, you're breaking with, our, with Air 2, 
what do you want to do? And so I just started with the warlock list and I saw that in Xanathar's Guide to Everything, they introduced a celestial pact. And I was like, well, that might be really interesting because we just had this big experience with Fleeple becoming Bahamut's champion and all of those things. Maybe some of that influence rubbed off on her and she could then follow that path of that Fleeple is following with Bahamut and still keep that warlock class. I think the addition of the celestial in Xanathar's Guide is very valuable to the game as a whole. And, you know, whenever they come out with new mechanics, new character options like this, there are certainly mechanical things that they want to do with this. Uh, the Celestial brings a lot of cleric kind of flavor to mm -hmm. the Warlock, but I wouldn't be surprised if thematically there was also some intent on the design team to be like, we need to give our Warlocks an option for after they break up with yeah. their bad patron. Yeah, I agree. Because of all of the different options that you see for the Warlock, the Celestial, to me, is the only one that's kind of unambiguously not a terrible patron. Right. <laughs> like, the, the beginning of the description here is, your patron is a powerful being of the upper planes, and by definition, a being from the upper planes has a good alignment. Right. So if you get the Celestial patron, you know you're getting a good, good alignment. aligned patron. Mm -hmm. And this actually happened in one of my home campaigns as well. Thomas Ryan, if any of you have been listening to Blades in the Dow Fay, other Thomas... Uh, for our iCast Fireball fans. Uh, he was playing a warlock as his first character, great old one warlock, not a great patron, didn't get along very well with that dude, and boom, he switched over to the, to the Celestial as well at some point. So it, it's just, I love so much that they have this in here, not only because thematically it provides a good way for people to switch over, but also because the Celestial Warlock just has some really good ability. Yes. And so we're going to start at first level. All Warlocks get a, an expanded spell list as well as a special uh, unique feature there. And as we start digging through these, like I mentioned, we're going to see a lot of cleric-esque theming as we start moving into the Celestial and in particular, the Light Domain Cleric. The Light Domain Cleric is all about fire-based spells and light-based spells. And we're going to see that, I mean, just looking at the expanded spell list, for example, we've got options like Cure Wounds, Guiding Bolt, Lesser Restoration, Revivify, all of them very, very classic cleric spells, but also stuff like Wall of Fire, Flaming Sphere. Um, so we still have a little bit of the fire and maybe not the brimstone aspect that you sure. had with the Fiend, but still getting some fiery spells out of this deal. And then the other cool ability that you get at first level is Healing Light. And this is a really, really good healing option. And it is kind of reminiscent to me of the way that clerics were handled in Pathfinder 1st Edition. They had their channel energy ability. Yes. Yeah, which is D6s based off of your level. You know, let's, let's just dig into it instead of uh, reminiscing about Pathfinder 1st Edition. Uh, so at first level, you gain a pool of D6s that you can spend to fuel your healing. And the number of dice in this pool equals one plus your warlock level. You regain all of those dice when you finish a long rest. And what you do with these dice is, on your turn as a bonus action, you can choose one creature you can see within 60 feet of you. You spend a number of dice to your pool, a number of dice from your pool, the maximum of which can be your charisma modifier. You can spend less than that, but that's the maximum you can spend in one turn. Mm -hmm. You roll those, add them all together, and the target of your choice regains those hit points. You were talking about a cleric. This feels also very paladin, right? The laying on hands mm -hmm. pool of dice that you can use. Yeah, that's another 
other uh, one of the spells that they get that we didn't specifically mention is uh, a fifth level spell, Flame Strike. That is another very paladin-esque sort of themed spell. Mm-hmm. And we see the paladin side of things actually continuing with the level six feature. It's called Radiant Soul, not to be confused with the Radiant Soul ability of the Osimar. That is a different, different radiant thing. soul. At sixth level, you gain resistance to radiant damage. Resistance to damages is always a good always thing. Always a good thing. But on top of that, you can also add radiant or fire damage to spells that you cast. And the wording here is pretty particular, so I think we should probably dig into that. When you cast your spell, you can add your charisma modifier in radiant or fire damage. The spell has to deal radiant or fire damage in the first place. You add your charisma modifier to one radiant radiant or fire damage roll of that spell against one of its targets. Which is so awesome that the Celestial gives you those alternate spells because a lot of Warlock, and specifically because I was a Fiend Warlock, didn't have a lot of specific fire spells and definitely no radiant spells. And so to be able to have an expanded spell list that allows you to use this ability feels really cohesive. It feels very good that like, oh, the game gave me the tools that I need to be able to use this feat. Yeah, just looking at the spell list here, we've got Guiding Bolt, Flaming Sphere, Wall of Fire, Flame Strike, Sacred Flame. Five spells right there just from your expanded spells that are going to give you Radiant or Fire damage. Now, the reason that very particular wording is important It's not going to come up super often, but like if you cast a spell like Guiding Bolt or Sacred Flame, for example, it's a one and done kind of spell. You add your extra damage on top of it. But when we get to our spells that have longer durations, like our Flaming Sphere, like our Wall of Fire, insofar as I understand how this works, you only get to add the extra damage once per casting of the spell. So you could theoretically like If you cast Flaming Sphere and you're slamming the sphere into various opponents, you could do it on the first attack against somebody. You could theoretically hold it off onto the second one, but you're only going to get it once per Flaming Sphere, essentially. Mm -hmm. So a little bit restrictive. I might personally have chosen to make it like once per turn. uh, So you get just a little bit of extra punch from it, but I'm not the professional game designer. So yeah, it is what it is. Well, then let's take a look at the 10th level feature, Celestial Resilience. This is all about temp HP. So whenever you finish a short rest or a long rest, and short rests are very important for warlocks, you get to gain some temporary hit points. That number of temporary hit points is equal to your warlock level plus your charisma modifier. But on top of that, you choose up to five other creatures you can see at the end of your rest, and they gain temp HP equal to half your warlock level plus your charisma modifier. That's cool. Yeah, very much a the protective divine warrior kind of theming coming in. Again, some of that paladin flavor, some of that cleric flavor there. Well, and thematically, with a, a fiend patron, I just know the most about fiends off the top of my head, that the blessing of the dark one is something you get at first level. And that, when you kill a creature, you get temporary hit points for that. But it's very selfish. It's destruction and selfish for yourself because it's your own temporary hit points. And so that's cool that to flip it on its head, that in Celestial, eventually, if you get up to a level 10, it's not just you, it's you and your party get the temporary mm-hmm. hit points. And the only condition is to finish a rest. And then that's when you get to help other people. I think that's cool. Yeah, and that's interesting thematically as well. I'm just realizing with the warlock in general, this it is kind of a selfish 
way of getting your magical powers mm -hmm. is, you know, I'm not necessarily thinking about all of the repercussions that are going to come after. Oh, I feel yeah. like that's kind of part and parcel with making a deal with the devil, right, right. You know, going all the way back to Dr. Faustus and whatnot, but really flipping this on his head to be like, hey, the Celestials, they are good aligned, they're generous, they are giving, and that is reflected here in the mechanics. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. I like that. And then we're going to get to our final feature at level 14, Searing Vengeance. This one is really, really cool. We're probably never going to see Malamara oh, do it, Oh, definitely not. <laughs> but it's so cool. 14th level. So once per long rest, when you have to make a death saving throw at the start of your turn, you can do this instead. You spring back to your feet with a burst of radiant energy. You regain hit points equal to half your hit point maximum, and then you stand up if you so choose. So you're not prone anymore. That's really good. And then on top of that, each creature of your choice within 30 feet of you takes radiant damage equal to 2d8 plus your charisma modifier, and they are blinded until the end of the current turn. Oh, that's like Kaladin swearing the fourth ideal in the Stormlight Archive <laughs> and just like bursting a light with the storm Stormlight. Yeah, I think it's it's just such a great like return to form. I mean, this, especially with Malamara, would be really great because you've already got the half work resilience and you've got yeah. the barb you've got like the barbarian stuff going on with that as well. So it's just like all these opportunities for you to just get back and keep on going. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, the damage that your enemies take from this burst of radiant energy is great, but I think the uh, the blinded thing, so it isn't only until the end of this current turn, so it's not a very long time to do it, but let's say, you know, in that moment, you pot an Eldritch Blast, you're already 14th level, so you get three bolts with that. So when a creature is blinded, it, ha it automatically fails, automatically fails, I think it automatically fails any ability check that requires sight, and it has disadvantage on it, its attacks, and attacks against it have advantage. So, you pull out your Eldritch Blast, make three bolt attacks with advantage against these suckers who are blinded because of your searing vengeance, boom, you're good to go. <laughs> Which, you know, I'm, I'm also thinking like, you know, if you've got a spellcaster who's holding concentration and you want to break their concentration, three Eldritch Blasts, that's a great little combination there. Yes, it is. The Warlocks are a powerful, um, is a powerful class when built, I don't want to say correctly because I, I have mixed feelings about correct builds, but um, there's a lot of cohesive and synchronicity within the Warlock class. Oh, I did just check. I was correct. Blinded yes. creature, can't see, automatically fails any ability check that requires sight. Boom, look at that. I know, I looked it up and I was like, he nailed that right off the top of his head. Am I surprised? Not even a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is our Celestial Warlock. A very great option. Mm -hmm. uh, any other thoughts that you want to share about our Celestial friend? I think that the Celestial Patron subclass is a really interesting class to put in, especially with multi-classing, if you didn't have a cleric or paladin in your party. I feel like it's it become it makes a warlock from a fighter to a support class with their expanded spell lists and having eventually getting lesser restoration and revivify and these really specific class specific things that if you didn't want to play a cleric for whatever your reason is you could still take the Celestial subclass and get those benefits. Or if there's a hole in your party, it, it's a way of mixing classes without having to multi-class. If you're just a Celestial Warlock, it's essentially a Warlock with a uh, 
cleric multi-class or whatever. And so I think it's really interesting to have read through it and that they did introduce it in Xanathar's Guide to Everything, that it, it feels like it's a, a mixed class already, that you're multi-classing even though you're only in one class. Yeah, that's a big part of why I initially chose the Circle of Sacrifice for Fleepul, mm. because, you know, he, he's a cleric in basically everything but class. But class. <laughs> yeah, and this Circle of Sacrifice gives you that extra healing bump with the Sprigs of Mistletoe and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that I really appreciate is being able to give other classes that aren't the cleric more healing options. Yeah. You get to experience a broader selection of what the game has to offer, but you don't have to feel like you're being penalized for not having a cleric in your party. Absolutely, or feeling pigeonholed into it, because I think that party balance is very important, but if you have a bunch of people who want to be fighters, then yeah, you shouldn't be penalized just because nobody wants to quote unquote play the support or Mm -hmm. feel like, even though those are incredible roles to play and they're so good if you give them a chance, listeners out there, give them a chance. But if for your reasons, your character that you created just doesn't fit that mold, it allows for an expansion of that, of all of the classes having a little bit of healing or having a little bit of support or versatility or being able to take some tanking hit points with like Fleeple's Druid having the wild shape, but also being able to have the healing and such that you're able to really customize a character that you want to play that fits into what you narratively want to play. Because ultimately, this is a game. We're all coming together. We're having a fun time. Mm -hmm. The point is to enjoy what you're playing and what you're doing. And so with the expansion in Xanathar's Guide to Everything and, you know, all of the books that do come out with expanded class lists and subclass lists, it really allows you to find a character that fits your flavor and ultimately the game you want to play. beautifully said and i don't think i have anything else to say that can top that so thanks everybody for listening to this week's episode of crunch squad we hope you've enjoyed listening as much as we have enjoyed talking about the beautiful thematics and mechanics of this very well-placed subclass now from wherever you get your podcasts please leave us a review helps boost our ratings throughout each podcast service it puts our show in other people's recommended feeds and it lets us know that you like what we're doing if you want to write something longer than a review to just really let us know that you like what we're doing just you know as a as much effusive praise as you can muster the kind of thing that you know when thomas reads it he's just going to turn bright red because he's so embarrassed by how much people love him and it's appreciate true what he's doing here thomas thank you for editing this episode if you want to write something a little longer you can email us at icastfireball2020 at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you and we're hoping to get the word out there and set this podcast on fire with a little bit of extra fire damage because of that radiant soul to get the most recent up-to-date content from all of us here please follow us on instagram Twitter, handle iCastFireball20. Facebook, we're also there. We're maybe some other places. Oh, we're definitely on Patreon. Patreon's a great place to find us. Patreon.com slash iCastFireball20. You can also get involved on our Discord over there. We've been talking more mechanic stuff. We were talking about rogue subclasses the other day. Yeah, it's a fun group of people to be involved with. Lots of good memes coming in lately as well. Now, we want to give a quick shout out to our sister podcast, Improv Tabletop, which is, you know, everybody over there is a total dork. They're just, they're total nerds 
and you should accurate. Check yeah, them you out. should still listen to them. Yes, <laughs> they're fun nerds, but they are total nerds. And I am the king nerd over there at Improv Tabletop. Uh, I'm the GM. We have gotten back into our Fate campaigns. Uh, we spent some time with Avatar Legends and also Blades in the Dark, two very fun systems. But we're back to Fate, and there's also some Sonic books thrown in there because for some reason we got our identity attached to Sonic the Hedgehog, and we can't figure out how to get him out of our hair. <laughs> but it is what it is. Go over there. We've got all kinds of weird stuff going on. But lastly, please like, subscribe, and share with your friends and fellow Wacky Adventurers. But until next time, I am Ned, the host of Crunch Squad, and I've been joined by... Mickey, and I play Malamara. Keep the fire going, and we'll see you next time.